We're not here to compromise, compromise this message for a backslidden generation. This is the truth. And the best thing that we can do for this generation is give them the truth in love. And believe it or not, as I was thinking about today's message, the Lord put it in my heart to talk about a revolution is born. Because it's no accident that we are suffering today as a church and as a Christian community across this nation because we're not the only radicals. We're not the only ones being obedient. But as we're suffering, we're actually doing what Jesus did. Did you know that at Jesus' birth, a revolution was born? A revolution to turn us from Satan and his powers and to bring us back to God. And what did they do to our revolutionary? What did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. They would not have crucified him if he was the kind of Jesus that the media wants us to believe in. You don't crucify somebody that goes around telling everybody what they want to hear. You don't crucify somebody who never says anything offensive. But Christ was crucified because he offended his own people and he offended the people in power. Now, sometimes people talk about Jesus being a revolutionary and then talk about breaking the laws in those kinds of ways. But he wasn't a revolutionary in that way. He paid his taxes. Did you know that? They asked him, what are we supposed to do with this coin? Should we pay the taxes to our oppressors because the Romans were oppressing the Israelites? He said, give me the coin. Whose image on it is on it? And they said, Caesar. And he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's then. But give to God what is God's. And did you know that his family, sometimes people say, well, they're an example of illegal immigration. And that is true that there is a story there of, of immigration, but it's not illegal. When they were uh, going uh, about their business, going to go to Bethlehem, the reason why they were there is so that they could pay their annual taxes. And when they fled to Egypt, they did it lawfully through the Roman government. Now, you may say, well, I still believe we should support illegals here. Well, that may be up to you, but you're not going to get that from those Bible verses. These were law-abiding people as long as it didn't affect their religion and what they believed in and what they taught. But the moment that uh, someone said to Jesus, hey, have you heard that King Herod is telling you, you need to move on. You need to get out of this area. He said, go tell that fox I'm here today and I'll be here until I'm done. So when he, when he was pushed, when he was brought to that point, he made sure to let people know this is where I stand. So if you're looking for a revolution today to be illegal or to not pay your taxes, you're not going to find that in the scriptures, though we do have compassion and we will not call La Migra today. We welcome you here, but we ask you to follow the laws so that you can become a part of this country that is going to uh, be based on those same laws, okay? And then if somebody says, well, man, I didn't cross the border, man, the border crossed me. Okay, listen, how did you get your border? to begin with. At some point, everybody was fighting and they determined their borders. Now we have to respect and honor those borders. The greatest way to start a relationship with somebody is not by breaking those commands or those rules that they have in their life. If I want to start a relationship with you, I don't want to start it by hurting you, do I? So if you want to become an American, don't start it by breaking American laws. Do the best that you can. And we do have uh, contact with lawyers that will help you now that you're here so you can do the right thing. Amen? But once again, we do not call La Migra here. You are welcome here to hear the gospel. But just know this, that there's a revolution that's been going on for 2,000 years. And it's a revolution of worldviews, ideology, and spirituality. But it even goes further than that. It's a revolution of government. Let's go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is an Old Testament passage from a prophet. And I want you to hear what he says. And then tell me if it sounds familiar, because it should around this time. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Aperioth, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Does that sound familiar? No? Do you guys read your Bible? Have anybody ever read Matthew before? Go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6 teaches us why the New Testament authors grabbed that passage. Why is Bethlehem so important? Was it by accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? No, it was prophesied hundreds of years before his birth that he would be born in Bethlehem. That's why Matthew, the gospel author, when he's telling the story of the Magi looking for Jesus and that they're headed to Bethlehem, he says, this is why they're going. The prophet said that Jesus would be born where? Or the Messiah would be born where? Bethlehem. Now, if you notice when Matthew uh, quotes it, he stops that he'll be the shepherd of Israel. So go back to the notes, and you'll see something about this wonderful shepherd that his origins are from old. His going forth are from old, from ancient times. That means when Jesus was born, that's not when Jesus was created. When we think about our beginning, we think about that at the same time of conception. How many believe life starts at conception? That's why we honor life. If we found that on a foreign planet, what would we call that? Or a planet somewhere out in space, we'd call that life, wouldn't we? When we find it in a womb, we call it a choice to kill or murder. No, it's still life, isn't it? Well, where did Jesus' beginning start? Did Jesus begin to exist at the birth? No, the Bible says his origins, his going forth are of old, of ancient times. How many know in the book of Daniel, uh, the father is called the ancient of days. Jesus is as ancient as the father. When you go to the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that teach us? God is not of the heavens and the earth. He pre-exists all that we know in matter, space, and time. Who was there with God? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say the nature of God is, is revealed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So the Father's there, the Son is there, and then in Genesis it says that the Spirit was hovering over the earth. How many have read that as well? So Jesus, though he took on an earthly body around this time, or depending on what calendar you're using, he was born during this time or the fall. Most people try to guess where it's at. Jesus did not get created that day. He came into creation that day. Do you see the difference? Jesus was not created that day. He came into creation. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This should sound familiar around this time of the year. And by the way, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming. You're part of the revolution too. They could be waiting for you right now to arrest you because what we're doing is illegal. Oh, it gets quiet when I preach like that. Did you not know what church you were showing up today? There's a reason why those doors are shut uh, at all those other places. What I loved as you're going to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is that one of the times we had a whole police force out here, and I pray for them, and I honor them. I ask God to keep blessing them, and may justice prevail in all of their, all of the police forces and districts. So one time they were out here, and uh, the neighborhood had said that they were going to protest and be violent and do all of these things. Well, a gentleman was out there off-duty as a police officer, and as he was out there, he didn't really know what was going on. So as the story goes, as he told me, he just was talking to his friends, and he was saying, hey, what, what's going on out here? Why are you guys here? Oh, you know, we uh, were told there would be a riot here today. Maybe people would come and try to burn this place down, the church and all these things. And he's like, wow, I'm a Christian. And, and he was talking to them. He goes, and they're meeting right now? They're still having church? And they're like, yeah, he's meeting. He then, because he was off-duty, came right from where he was at across the street, walked right in, 
And he said, guys, I'm one of them. The mayor is my boss, but Jesus is my Lord. I'm coming to church today. Isn't that amazing? I went out to lunch with him. He's, he's at his other church now, but that was amazing that he was willing to count the cost. And do you know that at that same time, I had a police officer in our church say, well, I don't want to get in trouble with the mayor. He had literally told me that week, Joe, so I will not be coming that day because of all that's going on. A police officer in our church said, I will not be coming that day because I don't want to get into trouble with the mayor. And that day, God bought a police officer from off the streets. I pray for that other police officer to get some courage and come back to church, amen, because we haven't seen much of him after that. And so that's the difference is that God gives us courage to be brave. Let me tell another story before we get to the scriptures. I was raised in a church, and I was a church kid. I eventually backslid, sadly, so I encourage all you young people, keep living for Jesus. The greatest regret you'll ever have for living for Jesus is that you didn't do it sooner. Okay? And those of you who are raised in Christ, you'll never have a regret then for living for Jesus. But mine is I wish I would have did it sooner. Would have saved me trips to the clinic. Adults know what I'm talking about. Would have saved me some scars on my body and scars in my mind and a lot of pain that I went through in life. I'm telling you, live for Jesus now. Can I get an amen for some of the adults? That's right, live for Jesus. Yeah, pastor was at the clinic one time when he wasn't a pastor. I got a testimony. I got one of those testimonies that when I start telling it, people get quiet and they're like, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, you did need Jesus. So when I was raised up in church, they would tell us stories like this. And uh, it would go something like this. There was during the time of communism that they were telling the Christians, you cannot meet. And by the way, one of the people we're with against the lawsuits of the, of the city is the Romanian Pentecostal church. Pastor Christian did suffer during those times of the communist regimes in Romania. He had been physically beaten, arrested, and tortured for Christ as well as his fellow brothers and sisters. It was an honor to meet him and serve with him, keep him in prayers because they're still leading the lawsuits against our mayor and governor. So as we were kids in church, we would hear about this. And one of the stories goes, we don't know if it happened exactly like this or if it's just something that was passed along, but one of the soldiers in the communist government got saved and then came to the church in his uniform with his weapon, and then he said to the congregation, he said, I'm going to give you a chance to live, renounce Christ and leave now, and we will not mess with you or arrest you. And then all these different kinds of people scurried off, and then he took off his hat, set down his weapon, he said, now it's time to have church with the real Christians. <laughs> That's, that's a story, but that's a story that I was told. I was told that story, and then I lived it personally. When the police started to come, when the mayor started to come, I began to see who really wants to serve Christ now. And then people make all of these excuses. They say, well, I'm still a Christian. I just don't agree with what you're doing over here. Man, you're going to always find an excuse. The same thing during the Nazi party with, uh, you know, the, the revolutionaries that were fighting against Nazi Germany. The Christians had the same excuse not to join with them, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and so forth. They could easily say, well, Dietrich, I'm still a Christian, and I don't agree with the, the Nazis, but I just don't want to do anything about it. And there's a story that as the boxcars were taking the Jews uh, through certain towns that there would be Christian uh, churches around these train stops and they would hear the moaning and the crying out of these Jewish uh, Holocaust people going to the Holocaust and the a church instead of doing something to stand up would say sing louder sing louder you see I got to sadly watch that but at the same time, I got to watch and, and meet new Christians from all across the city who are now a part of this church as well as with our family. So we welcome you here. Let's give it up for Jesus bringing you. Amen. And so you're just as radical as us. 
Some people were watching us from afar going, I wish I could be radical like them. Well, you're radical like us now because you're here. You're willing to give it all for Jesus. And by the way, we have always said, if you want to stay online, that's up to you. Just let us keep going on the front lines. I love what Pastor Christian of the Romanian church, and and it's sad because he even said when he came to his brothers and sisters, he had to say the same thing to them, even though many of them had lived through persecution, but he said they became lukewarm. He said to his elders, he said, listen, Because everybody at first, when COVID happened, didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew. We never lived through something like that. And the Bible says quarantine the sick. We didn't know who was sick. It's a good good thing to do. We're all going to get quarantined. But after the first, you know, 30, 45 days, everybody could figure out that it was uh, something that was right. So anyways, he went to his elders, even people like himself who had suffered or their family had suffered but had become comfortable in America. And he said, we either open up the doors or I'm no longer your pastor. That takes courage, doesn't it? That takes courage because, you know, a lot of these mega churches have mega messes and they won't stand up to their people. And so to God be the glory for churches around this city and the nation who are saying we're going to stand up for Christ and for the believers that are supporting their churches and are doing it. Amen. And, it, and if you have a precondition or, you, or, or you're in a house with somebody that, that may be uh, a danger or something like that, we applaud you standing with us. We support you standing with us. But do not mock us online when your friends mock us. Do not come against us. Do not put us down and say that we're killing grandma. You know that we're standing for Jesus and then take your stand where you can. Amen? Well, Jesus, when he came into the world, he had to make his stand. He had to do it. And look at what the Bible says. For to us a child is born but a son is given. Jesus was born, but he was not created. He came to a flesh. That's why it says a child is born. How many know when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary that there was a child in the womb of Mary? But when he entered into the womb of Mary to become one with humanity, 100% God, 100% man, how many know he had already existed? So that's why it says a child is born, but a son is given. The son came, he stepped out of, uh, div- he stepped out of uh, heaven into humanity while retaining his divinity. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the what will be on his shoulders? Spirituality. It's going to be on his shoulders. Is that what it says? And, and fairy dust and pixie dust will be on his shoulders? No. And the what will be on his shoulders? The government will be on his shoulders. The United States government will be on his shoulders. The Chinese government will be on his shoulders. That's my Jesus. He came as a revolutionary to receive all the governments of the world as his kingship. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. America, you want justice? Make Jesus your king and you'll have justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. Now, right now, uh, maybe some good constitutionalists will go, put on the brakes here a little bit, Pastor. Are we going to have a theocracy? I thought that we believed in the separation of church and state. We do, but not for the reasons maybe you're thinking or have been told. The reason why a Christian believes in the separation of church and state is because we believe that when Jesus comes, the church and state will be married, and it's not our job to enforce it now. So that is true. We do not want a theocracy until Jesus comes. But we want the church in state to govern it and to be its conscience. 
The church has not only had a place there in the past, it was the very reason why America was founded. When you study how they came as pilgrims for the freedom of religion from the church-run states that Roman Catholicism ruled in or the Church of England, they wanted the ability to worship God in a free way and to have a government that would not interfere. But it doesn't mean that they would not bring the church in the state. It just means that the church would not control the state. Understand the difference. The first meetings before the Declaration of Independence started and ended with prayer, had times of intercession. Still to this day, Congress has a chaplain. Are you listening? The the United States government has printed Bibles and given it out during times of war. We have always been a Christian people by religion, by choice. That's why we take off days for Christmas and not Ramadan. But we have never, at least as the majority, wanted our church to control the state because we knew the mess that would bring us into. Well, what church is it? The Presbyterians, the Congregationalists, which ones? The Baptists. So what we've always wanted was a nation that would be supportive to the Christian faith and to be independent from a church governing body like a pope, a bishop. But we wanted the Christians to be in the government, in the places of influence, so that they could prepare the way for Christ in his government. Did you guys hear what I was saying? That was the goal, so that this would be a beacon, a shining light to the rest of the nations. That's then why God shined his face upon us, and we were the first ones to stop the imperialism of England. Have you heard of the Revolutionary War? God blessed us to stop them. And if you go back into the history and learn about George Washington and others, it was by the providence of God that we won that war. Should have never have won it. And then it was the providence of God that we fought our own people so that another people could get free. While people of their own kind in Latin America, Africa, China were enslaving their own people, a certain kind of people, white people, fought another kind of their people, a southern kind of white people, to free the African American. Read about Shaka Zulu, like I always bring up during that time. He's enslaving his own people in Africa around that same time. And yet white people are killing white people so that African Americans can be free. And you read about Booker T. Washington and to the others that were around, whether they were in the resistance, underground railroad soldiers, they were praying and seeking God's favor to defeat the cult of the South, the Confederacy. They were a cult. Are you listening? Somebody say the Confederate cult. If I said to you, I believe in a religion where I get to enslave people, would you say that's true Christianity? No. So it was the pastors, they were the ones in the pulpit informing the people that it has gone too far. They informed the people that the Christianity of Confederacy was a cult. And that it was for that reason God would be on their side as they would fight them because it says in the Bible we're not even supposed to, you know, take our own brothers or sisters to court, let alone to kill them. How do we get to the point where we can now kill each other at the, at the borders of these states that they began to fight on? It was because the pastors began to inform the northern people saying these are not our Christian brothers. They are hypocrites and liars and they are enslaving people. And at this time, if they don't listen, there's a time for peace, the Bible says, and there's a time for war. Somebody say, God bless America. Now, it's up to you and I whether or not during this time we want to go back to the beliefs that were built, that built up this nation and to hold Christianity in a high regard or to hand it over to another thing. See, because I want you to understand, we do have problems. That is true. There are issues in the African-American community. Black Lives Matter is not making it up. There are issues in our government. Antifa is not making it up. But let me ask you something. If I came over to your house and I saw a few bugs, and let's say I'm an exterminator, and I saw a few bugs, and I said, well, the way to resolve this, uh, this bug problem is we're going to demolition your house. Would you accept that as the first uh, solution to the problem? 
I see a few bugs. Here's how we're going to solve it. We're going to burn this thing down. No, that's not what you would do. You, you would not want that. You would say, excuse me, sir, is there another way to resolve the problem of bugs here other than burning the whole thing down? Maybe the good inspector, exterminator would say, well, let's put up some guardrails. Let's put up some things, some spray that protects the house from having bugs to come on in. What are the guardrails we're supposed to put back into the black community? The family and the church. The godly church and the godly family. That's what we want. We don't need to go tear it down and let LGBTQ be our leaders. That's not the answer for the black community. It's the exact opposite. We need the men to rise up to be leaders to their wives and kids and for the children to have a safe place and space to learn in church and go to school. And that happens by God-fearing people. The same thing with the corruption of, of capitalism. Oh, there's corruption in capitalism. Okay, so what do we do? Just burn the whole thing down and try to become like Cuba as they're swimming over here and giving their life just to be in our nation? No, we don't burn the whole thing down. We make sure that corruption is outside of our government. We, make, we get the corruption out. We drain the swamp. We get the problems out of our areas. And so you may not agree with what political party represents that best, but I hope you understand we don't get there by burning it down. Are you listening? Jesus came to bring a government. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God, and all other governments would rest on him. But where did the problem come? Where did the problem come, y'all, when the Jewish people didn't understand that he had to bring in other nations? You see, if Jesus would have started the kingdom of God the day he's on earth with us 2,000 years ago, how many people you think would be in his government and in his kingdom? Maybe less than a million? I don't know. There wouldn't be that many Jews at that time and followers. And so they would, all, they would have the whole planet by themselves. They would be ruling the earth all by themselves. So what did Jesus do? He said, I first come for the lost sheep of Israel. He had to restore them, bring them back to relationship with them. He had a special uh, you know, relationship from the old covenant with them. But then he said to those disciples, go into all nations, make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Preach to every creature. How many are glad you're here today? And so now where do we see the kingdom of God at? Every nation, tribe, and tongue. So let us not become impatient as they became impatient. They became impatient thinking that Jesus, the revolutionary, should bring down the Roman government in their life. And if he wasn't going to do it, they were going to think he was a blasphemer, he was a liar, and crucify him. And we can do the same thing in this generation. We could say, well, where's Jesus? Jesus hasn't come back. Things are still going bad. So you know what? I don't believe in his second coming anymore. Maybe that Christianity stuff's not true. Don't make the same mistake. The Bible says that he's not slow in keeping his promises when it comes to his second coming, but he's long-suffering, wishing that none would, be perish, none would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. So why hasn't God come back? Because he wants the nations to be reached. He wants our friends and families to be reached. Now, in the meantime, while we're waiting for our friends and family to come to Jesus, we may suffer a little bit. But the Bible says, do not think it's strange. We are like aliens in this world. We are like a foreign people group. We are those now here who are against what's going on in the world. We're seditious to the things of the devil, but we're as harmless as doves when it comes to the well-being of humanity. Do you get that? Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you're following me, say, I'm there. Follow my train of thought as we go to Ephesians 6. We are to be seditious to the works of the devil. We are not to go along with what he goes along with. When Jesus came in this world, did he go along with the things of the devil? No, the devil said to him, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you bow down to me. Did he call the devil out and say, no, you don't have them to give? 
No, he knew that the devil had had them. Why? Because when we were created as mankind, human race, Adam and Eve, we were given the keys of the kingdom to rule and reign, to have dominion over God's earth. Who did we give those keys of the kingdom to? Satan. Back up the story. Come on, guys. That time when they were there, why was Satan tempting them to get the kingdom from them? Because he had been a traitor of God's kingdom in heaven and was looking for a place now to have his own authority. God, out of his own goodness and kindness, gave us a choice. Now, sometimes people get mad at God and they go, you know what? If God knew we would make the wrong choice, why did he ever give us the power of choice? And what should we say back to those people? Are you making a choice now to be mad at God? You say you don't want the power of choice, but you're making a choice to be mad at God. If you were a robot, you would never have been angry at God. Is everybody tracking with me? If you're a robot, beep, beep, boop, I want you to say you love me. I love you. I want you to go serve me. Beep, beep, boop, I will serve you. Does that robot ever argue back? No. So the very fact that a supposed person today that's angry at God, mad at the fact they don't have a free will, the very fact that they're angry at God shows that they have a free will and they're using it to be angry at God. So what's the better way? Is the better way to be angry at God? No, the better way is to find out why we're in the situation that we're in. In the beginning, when God created us, gave us dominion, he said, here's how it's going to work. There's a tree over here of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's another tree of the tree of life. Which one did they go for? The tree of knowledge and good and evil. How's that been working out with us? How has Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, been doing with the knowledge of good and evil? How have world governments been doing with the knowledge of good and evil? How has Cardi B and Miley Cyrus done with the knowledge of good and evil? They've literally brought hell on earth. And who loves it? Satan, who is the one that wanted us to have that kind of knowledge that way. He wanted us to have that so he could steal, kill, and destroy. Go to Ephesians 6. I believe it starts in verse 10. So now we are in that spiritual battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's scheme. Somebody say he's a scheming devil. Thank you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, somebody who's keeping up with the Bible lesson might say, well, hold on, Pastor. I thought when Jesus came, started the revolution, he completed it at the cross, the resurrection. He disarmed all the powers of Satan. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He said, all authority has been given unto me. How in the world are we supposed to be having a battle? He already finished it. There's a contradiction, Pastor. What's going on? Somebody say both and. It's not either or. Sometimes we put the Bible in an either or situation and create a contradiction. It's either Jesus defeated the devil and there's no more battles or it's no longer true that he defeated the, the devil. That's how we sometimes think, but it's a both and. Jesus defeated the devil and we must continue in his victory. That's how the Bible is. It's an already not yet book. Already we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Already we have been delivered. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 from the, the God or the ruler of this world, lowercase g, God, the false God. We have been delivered from him, but we are still in his territory because until Jesus comes back and casts him into the lake of fire, which has been prepared for him and his angels from the beginning, don't be a follower of the devil or you're going to go where the devil's been prepared to go. Are you listening? Come on, do you want to go where the devil's prepared to go? Then don't follow him. The Bible says it was always intended for him to go there, but now for the followers as well. That's Matthew 25, waiting for Ephesians 2. Are you all ready to have a buffet of the word today? Come on, I came to serve up some Christmas dinner of the word. 
I'm preaching better than your karaoke. Come on, man of God, no half teas. But listen, this is the truth of what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come to be a baby in a manger. He came to be the ruling king. But it was important that we understand, it's important that we understand he did not start the earthly manifestation of his kingdom that day. He started it in our hearts. Why? Because once again, if he would have started it that day, all of us outside would have been lost. Sometimes people say it like this. Man, I hate all the evil in the world. And since there's so much evil in the world and I hate it, there can't be a good God because God wouldn't allow evil. Once again, how do they know what good and evil is without a God? Does a, does a horse know what evil is? Does, does Lucy the ape know what evil is? The very fact you know what evil is shows you're made in the image of God. And the fact you don't like it shows that you're more on his side than you are on Marilyn Manson's side or the devil, right? So this is the very fact we're upset about it, that there's a problem, gives us the, the understanding of God. But it's the other thing that they don't think about. Well, what is the solution then? What do we do, Mr. Smarty Pants or Mrs. Smarty Pants? What do we do? Well, let's get rid of all the evil. Let's get rid of, you know, if God's big enough and he's strong, he could just get rid of all the evil. Okay, guess what that would look like? That would look like you going somewhere. Because where does evil live? Does evil live in a hammer? My hammer doesn't want to hammer a person today. But if someone who's evil uses it, then it becomes an evil act. Where does abortion live? What does it live in the, the precepts or the, the, the forceps, whatever they use to tear out the body, limb from limb? No, it's the evil heart of the person who uses that. So if God wanted to get rid of evil the way you're talking about or the way that person's accusing, that, that means God would have to get rid of all of them and us. All of us would get taken out with the trash. All right, let's get rid of evil. Start with you, 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 that person in traffic, you, you, our governor, our, okay, let's get rid of all the evil. Or, hold on, everybody, or there can be a solution. Get rid of the evil within hearts before you get rid of the people. This is the revolution. It's the revolution of Christ changing hearts before he gets rid of the evil people and the evil fallen angels. So there has to be a revolution of your heart first. And that's why the gospel message is going to the nations. We do not believe, like the Muslims believe, that when we preach our religion, we do it by force. Though we have great Muslims in this nation that say, I don't do that. I'm glad they're not following their wicked prophet. Thank God for hypocritical Muslims, okay? But listen, a true Muslim believes that by force, jihad, they submit the nations to their God. We do not believe that by force. When the crusaders did that or different times have done it, they were probably mistaken as well. Though I think the crusades have been given a bad rap. It's more of a response to the Islamic terrorism of that time. But just track with me. We bring the gospel not through physical force, but through the spiritual force of that we just read about, that we do the spiritual warfare against the demons, against the principalities, so that men and women might be saved. So we are here as revolutionaries preaching the message of revolution, which is repent from following the traitor, the fallen angel, and turn back towards your creator. But just like any movie that's going to kind of take you on for a plot and a, a good journey throughout the, the story, many people don't understand who the real enemy is. It's like when you watch Star Wars for the first time. Well, is the empire the right thing or is the rebellion the right thing? It's like, who's the right person here? Should we all be with the empire and then have the peace of the empire? And these, this, these, you know, these rebellious people are causing all the issues? Or are the rebellious people the right ones who are being oppressed by the empire and we should side with Luke Skywalker and all of the Jedis, right? So now we've got a choice to make. And I love it because, you know, my kids are learning this when they play the video games. You want to be on the light side or the dark side? 
You know, which side do you want to be on? Well, there's a truth to that when it comes to Christianity. Well, you look at Jesus. He's being seditious spiritually to the Jews. He's turning their religion upside down or right side up. Which one is it? You see, you have to make your decision. Is Jesus rebellious towards the Jews or is Jesus the God of the Jews speaking to rebellious Jews? Who's the rebel here? And it's the same thing not only as you go through the story of Jesus, it's the same thing when we go through the story of us, even here at this church. Are we the rebels in a a bad way, doing that which is negative to the state? Or has our state oppressed us and has now put us down and we are the rebellion of the good people standing for that which is righteous? What will God say about us when he looks back at human history? Will we be like those of the Underground Railroad? Will we be like those from the Civil War times? Will we be like those in the Bible times that stood up for what was righteous when the majority went to the wicked? Or will we be like those who were the Oompa Loompas, the ones who had it all backwards? But how many believe you're on the right side? Now look what the Bible says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. See, you were the zombie of this world. You were following the ways of this world in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are what? Disobedient. So what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to set us free from the kingdom of darkness. But if you love your darkness, you don't think he's setting you free. You think he's doing something that you don't want. That's why, like I said, when we use the example of the movies, I love it when they turn it on you because you think the bad guy's the, you know, the bad guy, but then really the bad guy's actually the good guy. They do it a little bit more subtle. And so that's what's happening right now. See, the LGBTQ community thinks we're the hate mongers. They think we hate them because we talk about them and we preach to them. The one having sex outside of marriage, you know, living in adultery. They think that we hate them. And so it's because they're deceived, right? But that's not the way they see it. They see it like, man, you know, you guys make all these judgments. You say God's going to send us to hell and all this. And it is true, like I see it in the Bible, but, you know, times change and I don't think it's going to be that way. So they just want us to get along. They just want us to drop this archaic way of thinking from the Bible and accept their lifestyles. Well, whatever it is, pornography, recreational drug use, perversion. But what is really the truth? The truth is we're really standing up for righteousness. We're preaching the gospel out of love because we used to be like them. And so since I'm staying on movie references, it's like we're the ones who have been taken out of the matrix and we go back into the matrix. If you don't know the matrix, just think about holy things right now. And we come back into the matrix and we're like, hey, You need to wake up to what is true. The truth is, is that God is going to judge us. When we stand out in front of abortion clinics, they flick us off. And I say say back to them, and I get them to think, I say, imagine us standing in front of uh, Auschwitz and the different places where they murdered the Jews. Imagine us standing there saying that the lives of Jews matter, and you flick us off. That's who you are in God's eyes right now. We're on the right side. And you're on the wrong side. They're serving the principality of darkness. Let's go back to the notes. How many are here for a revolution? Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I don't have time to read it all, but listen to how Paul describes two Adams. There's the Adam of the flesh, the first Adam, and then there's the second Adam of the spirit. Who is the second Adam according to Paul? Jesus. Why? Because there was only two people born in perfect flesh, Adam and Jesus. Remember, Jesus had perfect flesh, so he comes into the world just like Adam did. Adam could not blame his sin on his body. I was born this way. Adam could not blame his sin on his environment. Well, my wife is messed up, and this is not a good garden to live in anyway. 
He could not blame it on his environment or his person. Same thing with Jesus. When Jesus comes, Jesus gets a reset. He knows what heaven is like, so he knows earth is sinful, so he can't blame it on his environment. He knows better. And he also can't blame it on his flesh because his flesh is perfect. He's called the second Adam. Now, what does Jesus do? He dies as the second Adam, does what the first Adam could not do. He is raised from the dead, and now as the God-man, he is the eternal king of kings and lord of lords. And sometimes people ask, well, if he was already a king, how does he got to become, why does he have to become a king again? Like Daniel says, the son of man comes to the ancient of days and is coronated a king in the line of David. And so people ask, well, if he was already a king, if God's a king, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, why does the Son need to get a crown then? Listen, it wasn't that Jesus, the Son of God, was lacking a crown. He always had a crown. But who lost their crown? Humanity. We lost our crown. So look at it like this. I love what Athanasius says. God became like us that we might become like God. God took what we were so that we might receive what he is. He took upon us. That's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became what I was that I might become what he is. So now as the God-man, one like us is ruling and reigning in the line of David. What does that mean? That the rebellion has won. That the rebellion has overcome Satan. All of humanity was under the first Adam, under the pains of death. And if you're like, well, man, I would do better than Adam. No, you wouldn't. You don't even go a day without sinning. <laughs> they might have been in there a few weeks or a few months. Most of us don't even go a few hours. You're like, well, send them to hell and start over again with me, Jesus. Kick them to the curb. I wish we could have had a reality cam for how many times our humanity would have failed. But God in his infinite wisdom goes, okay, Adam and Eve failed. All the way down to the last of humankind, they would all fail. We're just going to keep it with them now. Don't you love God's mind eternal? He knew it from the beginning. But once again, did he make robots? He made those of free will so that we can choose him or reject him. That is our choice and our consequences to bear. It was God's choice to give us a choice, okay? It was God's choice to give us a choice. And so now, will you stay with the first Adam, the first race of humankind? There's only one race, the human race, but now there is a spiritual race, a new Adam kind of race that is coming up through this old race. That's why the Bible says you are a chosen people called out of darkness to proclaim his, his, his marvelous light. You are a holy people separated from the things of this world. And so ultimately, when on judgment day, he separates sheep from goats. It is two Adams he is separating. The Adam of the flesh and that who was under the power of Satan and the Adam who was of the spirit under the power of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. This is the revolution that's born. Let's go to the next passage, please. How many are learning and being encouraged today? I want to create a contradiction for you and see if you can solve it on Christmas service today. Are you ready? Okay, get on your thinking caps. Here it is. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Great Christmas story, right? Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favors rest. Or in the old version, goodwill towards men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. The way I look about, uh, think about this kind of uh, interaction with the angels, with people, hear the angels watch their king come in the flesh, and they have to break forth into humanity and go, Hey, guys, glory to God. You got the best right now. There is peace on earth. There is goodwill towards men, and this is going to be a great day for you guys. Aren't you happy the angels had to come through and announce into our world what was happening? But now let's read Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus doesn't stay baby Jesus. 
Because that's how a lot of times people think about Jesus. Little baby Jesus. You know, you've ever watched, uh, you know, Talladega Nights. Do it with an editing software. It's a little dirty, you know. But here we go. Baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus. I pray to you, and sweet baby Jesus. Like a lot of times people think Jesus is coming down in a cradle. And we're just going to be like, there's little baby Jesus. Goochie, goochie, goo. No, the Bible says he's coming as a conquering king with, with a sword coming out of his mouth, riding on a white horse, trampling on the nations. Trampling on the nations. Okay? This is our God. This is our Jesus. It's not sweet baby Jesus. So as Jesus is grown Jesus, he's manly Jesus. Look at what he says. Let's just go to verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What happened, Jesus? Uh, Those angels that came down when you were born, they told us you were going to be nice, peaceful Jesus. Now you're... Big bad Jesus telling us you're coming to separate us, that a a man will turn against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's easy for some folks already, but pray for mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. Amen. Half kid. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I got a good mother-in-law. Amen. She loves Jesus. But, But notice this, going back to the passage, going back up a little bit, please. He said, I'm bringing a sword. Don't you think I just came here to bring peace? I'm not your Barney. I came to bring a sword. I came to get bowed it, bowed it. You know? You know, uh, Spartans, what is your occupation? Oh, oh, I brought more soldiers than you. That's my Jesus. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Well, hold on. It says he is coming to bring peace. Now he says, I'm not coming to bring peace. Contradiction or compliment? Just trust the Bible and say compliment right now. Okay, if you don't, we'll talk to you later. But just go, go, with, go with the fact that you're not here to see a Bible contradict itself on Sunday morning. Okay, compliment. Well, how do, we, how do we pull that one off? How do we make this compliment? Well, it's pretty simple. How do you bring peace to those who are against you and are at war with you? With the sword. You bring peace a certain kind of way when you go to, you know, ISIS and go, we're going to have peace right here in Syria. Boys, send the hellfire, you know. Send down the hellcats or whatever those things are. You know, drop it like it's hot. We're going to have peace in Syria now. Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring a peace without a sword. Of course, he's going to eventually get to the point where there's peace. But what he's talking about in that part is the sword will come first and then the peace will come. So what's going on right now? The peace is coming as we are ambassadors for Christ. Hey, man, you better get right. The king is coming. He's got a sword with him. Hello, Bill Gates. You better get right. Jesus is coming. Hello, can I talk to you, Pope? Jesus is coming. And it don't matter where you live in Rome. He's coming for you. We are literally ambassadors. We are amba- we, the Bible says we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ saying, be reconciled to God. And see, people now in this generation have forgot what it's like to fear God. And we need to go back to where we fear God. Jesus said it like this. Not me. Jesus said it like this. Don't you fear Those who can just take your life and gangbang on you and put you down on Facebook. Don't fear just those who can kill the body. You better fear the one who can kill the body and torment your soul in hell. That's what my Jesus said. I don't like that very much. Well, it doesn't matter what you like. You're going to find out real quick. This is not your way. It's his way. It's his way. 
And so they get mad at us and they go, I don't like a Jesus that talks about that. I don't like a Jesus that judges. Let me tell you, we're going to get to where you're going to be at. Go to Revelation chapter 22, last chapter of the book. Somebody say, it's tight, but it's right. Amen. You can say, oh me, oh my, but it's better if you say amen. Because it's coming whether you like it or not. You can jump off a building and say, I don't like gravity. Gravity coming for you. You can stand in front of a moving train. God is my witness. One of my wakeboarding buddies stood in front of a moving train, committed suicide. You can stand in front of a moving train and think it's going to go good for you. It will not. Not in this life or the world to come. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm a real pastor, amen. Got quiet real quick. Did his funeral and his body was in a little canteen. That's where you go when you live like that and then your soul gets tormented. Do not think to yourself, you're going to exit out of here, take your life, and go to a better place to go fishing all the time with grandpa. You don't live for Jesus. You have a mentality. You're in control. Suicide is one-way ticket to hell. You say, Pastor, that's a rough statement. I need you to understand that. Do not take your life if you're considering it today. If you are hurting today, you're in a bad place, we are going to help you. We're going to give you the things of God's word. If you are hallucinating, if you deal with schizophrenia, we will help you not to kill yourself. But listen, you take your life. You are saying to God, I'm in charge, and you're going to find out where that leads you. So go to the book of uh, Revelation, end, end of the book here, go all the way down. Last 10 verses. Go to the red, all red, Jesus talking up there. This is what Jesus says, chapter uh, 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have a right to the tree of life. What did we mess up in the Garden of Eden? We didn't get the tree of life. What do we get? The knowledge of good and evil. And it's not been working for us, right? The Bible says, you repent, I'm going to give you another chance to go to that tree of life. How many are coming to that tree? Amen. And you may go through the gates into the city. Not everybody gets into those pearly gates. Do not let people lie to you. Outside are the dogs. This Jesus talking, all red letters here. These are the dogs outside, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What I love about Jesus is he has you no matter which way you go on this. Let's say you're going, man, I, you know what, Jesus, I don't practice magical arts. I'm not doing Harry Potter stuff. I'm not sexually immoral. I don't, I don't know how to get girls or guys or whatever. I'm just all by myself, and I don't look at porn. I'm, I'm not sexually immoral. I don't murder anybody, and let's say they even go, you know what, I don't hate. And I'm not an idolater. I could probably show them that they do or worship something other than God. But let's just say, to keep it simple, they don't worship Brahma, Vishnu, any of these other gods that they just keep to themselves. I love how Jesus says, right, then you think you got away? Watch this. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I love how that summarizes it. Because some people would say, well, my Jesus will never send somebody to hell. You love and practice falsehood then. If your Jesus is not a God of judgment, you love and practice, judge, you know, practice falsehood. Well, I just believe we should just all live and let live and don't tell anybody what. Well, you love and you practice falsehood. I believe Christians should keep the gospel to themselves. You love and practice falsehood. Well, I think Buddha is just as good as Jesus, and I got a comparative religious book that shows me the sayings of Jesus with the sayings of Buddha, and they just mishmash together. You love and practice falsehood. Well, I think I can own a slave and be a Christian. I think I can do this and be a Christian. I, I still go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian. You love and you practice falsehood. Don't do that. Amen? 
Whatever the Bible says is true, we say amen to. We don't go, oh me, oh my, I don't believe it. We go with the word. Now, if you don't understand it, the Bible says study to show yourself approved. I'm not saying I understand everything, but I have enough common sense to go with the one who rose from the dead. I'm following Jesus. So this revolutionary is coming back as king. Go to the notes, please, Daniel chapter 7. Did you know that the book of Revelation quotes Daniel, the Old Testament author, more than any book in the Bible? Daniel is a prophetic book for the times we are living in. One of the things Daniel said is in the end times, knowledge will increase. Have you ever seen the increase of knowledge as you have in the last 50 years? The Bible says that nation, the nation of Israel will be gathered back together in the end times. Have you ever seen a time in human history since 70 AD that the nation of Israel has been gathered together? Except right now, while you're alive. People who have been alive have seen it from 1948. They were were a lost people without a country to live in. You can't find the Amorites. You can't find the Edomites. You can't find the Moabites. They were just as small and as insignificant as them on the world scale. And yet they were without a nation, kept their national identity, have been given over to inquisitions and to holocaust. And yet by God's grace, they have been regathered to a nation to show to us that the fig tree is blossoming. I mean, the end is coming near. You can call it a dink of the, the United Nations if you want, but I'm going to stick with what God's doing in time. Daniel, he gets a vision, chapter 2. Rather, Nebuchadnezzar does, but he gets the, he gets the interpretation. He's talking to the king now. And this is for anybody who thinks we shouldn't talk to kings and teach them about Jesus, presidents, and all that. Here's another prophet speaking to a king. Maybe your pastor would do better by not talking to a king or to you. But uh, us pastors, we want to speak to the people and to kings. So if you hear somebody say, well, my pastor don't talk about politics. Let's have him stop talking about the Bible too. Right? Well, my pastor's still online. Let's have him give us the keys so we can be in his building on the front lines. Okay? And he can stay online. They can stay on that congregation can stay online, but we're gonna go preach to power, we're gonna go preach to governments, and we're gonna go out into the community and make a difference. Amen. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue. Here was a statue that he saw that had, a, had different, different parts of its body were made out of different elements, some of gold, silver, iron, etc. It struck the statue at its feet of iron, of clay, and smashed it. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind, the wind swept them away without leaving a trail. Somebody say without a trace. But highlight this right here, This starting with the button. Let's read it together. One, two, three. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Who do you think that rock is? Jesus. Bunk. Coming right to the things of the devil. You see this little rock just flying. Imagine you're Goliath. You see this little rock flying. That's the last thing you see. That's the last thing you see. What is the rock that the father is slinging towards the earth? His son. He is slinging his son towards the earth. Go to Psalm chapter 2, please. We see that the son came to incite a revolution against the powers of Satan and to bring back lost humanity to the power of God, to plunder hell and populate heaven. It is now your choice or mine to stay on the side of the traitor and the devil and to suffer his consequences or to ride with Jesus throughout the revolution until the kingdom of God comes. You and I are not supposed to just sit here and abide our time time, we are to be generation shakers and kingdom takers. We are to see the kingdom of God invade every gate of hell and watch those gates of hell not prevail against the church. We are to see the gospel reach the nations. 
Have I told you about the story of Cali, Columbia, or was that the first service? That was first service. There was a pastor in Cali, Columbia. You can look it up. Cali, Columbia revival. The drug lords had taken over the city. They were threatening all the churches. And what all the churches say? Let's just get along. Let's not cause any issues. We'll have a better life this way. Sure, our government's corrupt by the drug lords. Bless us, get along. This pastor said, I'm not called to get along. I'm called to be a terror to the devil. I'm called to tear down principalities and build the kingdom of God. So he kept preaching against these guys, and they warned him, stop talking about us. Stop converting our drug runners. Stop preaching out on the streets. You're messing with our business. We're going to kill you. They murdered that pastor. The pastor gave his life for Jesus Christ in Cali, Colombia. Then the rest of the pastors, they said, we can't let this happen anymore. They've killed one of our own. They're running our city. We just can't go on with this anymore. We've got to make a stand. So all those pastors got together, rented the biggest soccer stadium, and said, we're all going to come together. We're going to bring our churches together, and we're going to say that the drug lords don't rule this city. Jesus Christ does. We're going to start prayer walks in the community. We're going to start evangelizing again. And God brought revival to Cali, Columbia. Read about the Cali, Columbia revival that's happened in many of our lifetimes. But see, the nations are raging. They're plotting in vain. The kings of the earth rise up against uh, the, uh, they band together to rise up against the Lord and against his anointed. The father and the son here, they say, let us break off their chains and throw away their shackles. The one in heaven, enthroned in heaven, does what? Laughs. He laughs at what Biden and Kamala Harris have planned. He's laughing at what China's doing. He's laughing at what these people are doing in Boko Haram to the Christians in Nigeria. He's laughing at the dictator of China and of North Korea. He laughs at at them and scoffs at them and keep going help the preacher preach and he rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath saying I have installed my king on Zion my holy mountain and keep on going down because some people's knees won't bow, but he's going to break their kneecaps with a rod of iron. Verse 8 says, ask of me for the nations. I'm giving them to you, son, as a possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. Bring Muhammad right here before me. Bow. You don't want to bow. Break his kneecaps. Make him bow. Cast him into hell. I know we think that is like Avengers movie type stuff. And I know some of you wish this wasn't in your Bible, but this is our Jesus. Our creator breaks them with a rod of iron. He smashes them to pieces like pottery. Anybody see the Avengers when the Hulk got a hold of Loki? Anybody remember when the Hulk got a hold of Loki? Some people think like it's a wrestling match between Jesus and the devil, like it's WWE. Oh, the devil's got Jesus in a naked rear choke, the chokehold. Oh, Jesus is coming out and he's going to do a body slam. No, no, no. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. When he came upon this earth as a suffering servant, he did it for our redemption and he raised for his kingship. And once again, we are not angry at the pottery. We are not angry at these nations. God is angry with them because he is the only perfect one, righteous in judgment. We are angry with their sin, yes. But we are pleading with them, come to Jesus. Look at verse 10. Does it end with us rejoicing and kneecaps being broken and the, the wrath of God, the grapes of wrath? The Bible literally says he treads on them as, the, as a person treads on grapes. He uses the example of how grapes are treaded on to make wine. Revelation says 100 million will be treaded on at the Battle of Armageddon to make blood as high as a horse's head for 100 miles spilling out. 
This is not what we find uh, fixation in and it's this, this behavior because we love blood and we're bloodthirsty and we, we're all going to, you know, uh, bring in the judgment of God ourselves with ARs and all these assault weapons and what they try to accuse us of. What we are saying is what D.L. Moody said, prepare to meet thy maker. We're saying what Charles Spurgeon said, prepare to meet your maker. We are saying what the Wesleyans said when they developed the Bible Belt through this land. Did you know that the Bible Belt reached here? Notice who, are, who started our universities. North, was it Northwestern, the big one? Northwestern? Put it up on uh, Google for me. Go to uh, Wikipedia. Notice well, how our universities were started even in this city. Methodist Christians came to Chicago, helped establish universities, helped establish our nation. What I am teaching to you is not Westboro Baptist, y'all going to hell type Christianity, a form of it where we criticize everyone, we, we make a mockery out of the judgment of God, we're vulgar for vulgar sakes, and then when we get spit upon, we call that martyrdom. No, I am here to tell you that the reason we preach this here is because we want the nations saved. Look at what it says. After all of that, he will break them with a rod of iron. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. What does he say? Therefore, you kings, every one of you, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he'll become angry and your way will lead to destruction. God is saying, kiss my son, worship my son. Come pay your homage to my son. If you do not want to do that, you are going to find yourself in a world of hurt. You got that reference for me? As he puts it up, I want you to see what their model was. And when you think about Northwestern, think about how far they've come. What was the model of Harvard? Does anybody remember the model of Harvard we talked about here? Veritas. What does that mean? Truth, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all Bible colleges. Once again, not saying that our nation did everything right, but who graduated? Who graduated the first African-American from the, uh, the slave you know, uh, the, in the north? Who did that? A Christian school, Oberlin. We were Christians throughout this time of even wickedness, and we have been here for a help to the nation. Look at their motto, Northwestern University, Hologos, and I, I might mess up the Greek here, Hologos Prelios Charitas K Athatis, Atheus. What does that mean? Whatever things are true, the word of full of grace and truth. Right there. See, you go, you go to Methodist, uh, I mean, excuse me, you go to Northwestern, you see what the Methodists did for your city. What have we done now for this city? You see, you go downtown and you see D.L. Moody and you see all the programs and all the things that they've done. You see the Salvation Army. They didn't always dress up like Santa. Put a Google Salvation Army tent meeting. Salvation Army was about what? Salvation. And guess what they were? An army. And they reached Chicago as well. Chicago used to be the hub for some of the greatest moves of God, whether it was the Methodist, the Salvation Army. We have one of the oldest Pentecostal churches in our city. You guys know what I'm talking about because some of you have heard this before. But the thing is, we need to bring back the message of Christianity to this city, to the universities, to the businesses, to our schools, and show them that Christianity is the answer to our problems. If we looked at our house and we saw there was bugs, I gave you that example at the beginning, correct? Do we blow the thing up or do we fix it? We fix it, don't we? When we look at the problems of our cities, when we look at the problems of our nation, do we blow the thing up, tear it down, or do we look to Jesus? 
We look to Jesus as the answer. We're not the first ones to have to do this. We're not the first ones with urban decay. When the, uh, go, just go to images. Listen, sal- please and thank you. Please uh, uh, type in Salvation Army Tent Meeting and look at an image. When they came from rural communities out of the late 1800s and early 1900s to the city, the Christians became overwhelmed with alcohol abuse. Most of them were not uh, used to living in urban communities. And the, and, the, and the problems from the alcohol resulted in crimes and these different things began to happen. And what the church did is they rose up and started coming up with answers. Have you ever heard of the YMCA? It's more than just a silly song out of the 70s, isn't it? It was a movement. What was the movement? That young men as Christians would have an association in the urban settings to do something other than drink and party. These are my heroes. The Salvation Army. See, we're not the first ones to be outside. Look at them preaching outdoors, reaching the community. When you read about their stories, D.L. Moody picking up children from the the lakeshore, because it used to be poor out there. Now it's where the rich people are at, right? Picking up poor people from the uh, the lakeshore and bringing them to church, starting his Sunday school. We're not the first ones. We need Jesus, the revolutionary. Please go back to the notes. The rock is going to crush the governments. The rock is going to bring down these governments. We need to be on the rock side. Vinny, would you come please in closing? Would you go to the last scripture there, please? Listen to Jesus talk about the rock. He is that rock of revolution that comes to us today offering us a better way. Jesus speaking said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. These are those from that that, uh, Jewish faith at that time who didn't want to receive Jesus. And he says, And it will be given to a people who will produce fruit. Can I ask you a question? Will Christianity be taken from you, given to another people, another generation that will produce fruit, or are you going to produce fruit? I feel that the reason why we are the way we are right now is because in the 80s and 90s, the Christian church did not hold on to the kingdom of God and gave it up to the media, entertainment, and to the ungodly politicians. I'm not saying there wasn't righteous people there. David Wilkerson and others, E.V. Hillard, I could be here all day mentioning my heroes from that time that have now passed. But I'm telling you, we are where we are because the, the greater body of Christ allowed our nation to be deceived. We were, we were sold a bill of goods. We were told, just take prayer out of school and just, you know, things will remain the same. They took prayer out and replaced it with metal detectors. They said, well, you know what? We're going to stop teaching the idea of creation, intelligent design. We're just going to tell them what we, we believe in science. There won't be that big of a deal. How many remember when Columbine happened? How many are old enough to remember Columbine, the first real mass shooting in our generation? They were lovers of Nazism and Darwinism. Their entire point was survival of the fittest, the weak are meat. I can mow you down just like I do in a video game because you're nothing more than molecules in motion. And now we look back on that going, that's nothing compared to what we've seen in our cities and streets. In the different communities, whether it was Joel Osteen turning away from his father in his message or in the black community, the preachers turning away from what the the, the founders of those churches preached, we all said to ourselves, you know, and I'll put my we in there as a pastor, but we all said, you know, church is a little boring sometimes, and let's make it a little bit more entertainment, give them what they like. I remember when T.D. Jakes used to preach about sin. Now all he says all the time is how you can be blessed and make it. Go to Deuteronomy 28 first for me, please. And we lost our power and our authority, and now the church looks just like the world. 
How many of you, come on, grew up in church like me and heard that all the time? The pastors were warning. The church is looking just like the world. The church is looking just like the world. The church is looking, and then now look what happens. Suicide in the pastorate, adultery in the pastorate. Pastors are falling apart. We just heard about another one, you know, famous pastor, all of these problems coming up. No holiness, no fear of God, no integrity. Look at the blessings that God mentions in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. Just scroll. He says, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be blessed in the fields. You're going to be blessed as you come. Go a little bit faster for me, please. You'll be blessed in your womb. You'll be blessed in the countryside. All of these things. Notice the blessings. Keep going. Right there. Stops. Verses 1 through 14, God said to his people, if you obey me, I'll bless you. Now go through the curses because they go from 15 to 68. Did you catch that? 14 verses of blessings. Over 50 verses of curses. Why do you think God, keep scrolling, sir, please and thank you. Why do you think God took so much time to lay out the curses? Why is it when he talks about the blessings, he's like, look, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. Keep going. Keep going. Do you see the enormous difference? Why? Because Jesus is not bribing us to heaven with blessings. When Jesus came, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because heaven should be obvious. It's where he's at. And so when he looks at us and he's like, I got you. I'm going up there to prepare a place for you. I got you, fam. Don't worry about it. We don't need to hear more. We don't need to be bribed into heaven. But why does he talk more about hell? Gnashing of teeth. The worm dies not. The fire consumes. Why does he go on and on and on? It's the same reason why in the Old Testament. Look, I'll bless you this much. You mess up, the curses will be like this. It's the same reason. God is warning us. He is telling us, listen, you do not understand how bad this will go for you. It's not just a little bit less than the blessings. It's not like if you don't live for Jesus, it's kind of like you live for Jesus, but just a little bit worse. Like Christianity is you getting a Range Rover, that's amazing, you know? But living as a Christian and being radical is like getting the, you know, the sunroof and the XM radio. But if you're not really like that much into Christianity, you can get a Hyundai or a Honda or whatever people drive. You get a Toyota, you know, you'll get something a little bit. It rides. It's good. But, you know, Christianity, it's a little bit. No, 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 no. Listen to me, my friends. If we do not have God, the Bible literally says we are in the dunghill. God is enormously greater. You could just think of the greatest thing, a spaceship, whatever you want. God is that for us in life, moving us through with his kingdom and not having God is not a little bit less. It is awfully terrifying and horrendously worse, unimaginably worse. We are slipping so fast as a nation that most of us would not even believe five years ago that we would be where we are now. Most of us would not even believe that. If you would have told me five years ago a white person will call a black person a racial slayer and be accepted by black people in doing that all because that black person is a Christian I would have said you are out of your mind the black community is the most respectful to Christians how in the world would this be acceptable to them I remember when the stars of a certain show 
who used to violate themselves and do stupid stuff and they had an MTV TV show were with some rappers and they were doing some stupid stuff and the rapper says, you don't do that in front of our mom. This famous person got called out on stage because the mom was there and they're like, you don't do that in front of our mom. Now we're seeing things that moms are even doing that are unimaginable. I, re I remember some of this stuff. I'm telling you, it's, Im it's immensely worse. Going back to the passage, please, of Matthew. The kingdom will be taken from those who don't want to use it and given to those who do. And anyone who falls on this stone, talking about the rock of Christ, will be broken to pieces, and on anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Give me your last moments, please. Please give me your attention because you got to hear this. Remember that stone? It crushes the governments. It knocks them out. That's our Jesus. He started as a revolutionary. He's now bidding us to come saying, I got you. I'm going to take care of everything. This is how he gives us the illustration of what it's going to be like with the stone. So imagine you're drowning. You've been out at the ocean or the lake, and you've given it all you have, and you have nothing left in you, but you see a little bit far off in the distance a rock, something sticking out of the water. What do you do? You get everything you can together to just get to that rock, and then you fall on it in pieces, in other words. You just fall on it, all broken, nothing left, nothing more to give. You're passed out, and there you are. That's the good broken. You come to Christ going, I can't fix my life. I can't fix my family. I come to you broken, drowning with no hope, and I fall upon you, Jesus. I just fall upon you, Jesus. Hold me up, Jesus. Take me out of the storm, Jesus. I'm falling on you in pieces right now. I can't do this without you. What is the other example? You're walking around cocky, thinking you have it all together, and then here comes an asteroid. And you're just crushed. That's Jesus talking. Just imagine that. Bill Gates walking around. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Jesus is going to fall on him on judgment day. And there will be nothing left of him. He'll have no more wealth. He'll have no more reputation. He'll have nothing to bribe the God of heaven and earth with. He'll have nothing to get himself into God's kingdom. He will be blown. <laughs> He will be blown like dust into eternal torment, being told, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. That's what the Bible says. So either way, the rock is going to meet us in pieces. We either get to come to that rock now as a nation, and I would just encourage you like I did for Thanksgiving. Go back and read Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving address. Go back and read George Washington's Thanksgiving address. We either come to God and fall on him in our high schools and say, dear God, we're so tired of seeing people kill each other. We're so tired of violence and drugs. God, we fall on you in pieces right now. We're going to open up the gymnasium every day after school and bring in the Christian churches to take turns doing worship times and prayer meetings. We're just falling on you, Jesus. Or our young people are going to get crushed. Our nation will get crushed. And so for me to you on Christmas, for the you know Christmas message, what a Christmas message it was. Amen. My encouragement to you is fall upon the rock of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? You guys did awesome. I hope you enjoyed the message. Hopefully I didn't.